Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Clear and Convincing, the show that looks at criminal cases from the perspective of the courts, not the court of public opinion. We're Lisa O'Brien, podcasting from New Orleans, Louisiana, and Michael Carnahan from Little Rock, Arkansas, both regions that were part of the Louisiana Purchase of 1803. Thank you for joining us for Episode 10, State of Florida versus Dahlia DiPolito. Tonight, we'll be discussing the case against Dahlia DiPolito, who was convicted of solicitation to commit first-degree murder in June 2017 after her third trial. As always, this is a live show, and calls are welcome. Our phone number is 347-989-1171. And good evening on this lovely Tuesday. Michael, how are you? I'm doing too Excuse me, I'm not doing too bad, you know, got the... Got a little bit of a scratchy voice, but I'm doing pretty good. How, uh, how's everything going down there in New Orleans? Oh, it's pretty good. Work has been busy, so I guess that's a good thing. It keeps me from running the streets. Oh, hey, that's certainly true. And, you know, you never want to run the streets. No. You get in trouble that way. Absolutely. Especially in New Orleans. Yes. Especially in New Orleans. Uh, so let's talk about this. This is a case I thought I knew quite a bit about because, you know, I've heard it, you know, spoken about. But, I mean, really, I didn't realize exactly what was going on. Just introduce us to uh, the key players and everything thus far in the case. Like, just give us a broad overview before we delve in here. Okay, well, Mike DiPolito was born in Philadelphia. Uh, his He was raised mostly by his grandparents because his parents had substance abuse problems. He fell into drug abuse at an early age. And then after his move down to Florida, he made some mistakes and got involved in a uh, foreign currency trading scheme that was all a fraud. When he was caught, he admitted what he did. He pled guilty, and he was sentenced to two years in prison and 28 years probation and or over $200,000 in restitution to the victims of that scheme. Uh, Dahlia DiPolito was uh, born to 
an Egyptian father and Peruvian mother. She was born in New York, but the family moved to Boynton Beach, Florida, where she spent most of her formative years. Uh, she got into some trouble in high school. Uh, she left school and tried to go back to New York one day, and that didn't work. And there was some conflict between her and her father because he was a traditional Muslim. And he expected her and her mother and, and sister to be traditional as well. And that just didn't sit well with them. So they, they kind of fought him on that. Um and then after high school, Dahlia took some community college courses, but she also began work as an escort. Okay. And in okay. October of 2008, Mike DiPolito called and ordered an escort, and Dahlia is the woman who answered the call. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then – but – you know, then she did. Uh, she she was madly in love with him, and they they were so good together. Poor Mike DiPolito thought she was like the best woman in the world because she was independent. She had her own money. She was wearing an expensive diamond ring. She was driving a Mercedes. He was like, "This is somebody who you know goes out and gets what she wants on her own." Turns out, the ring and the Mercedes were from her former boyfriend with whom she had been living in California. Right. And she came, she was visiting Boynton Beach when she met Mike. So then she dumps him and she hooks up with Mike. He buys a condo. She moves in with him. They get married before the ink is even dry on Mike's divorce from his first wife. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Muhammad Shahade is, uh, he was born in Jerusalem. He's Jordanian descent. He owned convenience stores and check cashing places in the Palm Beach County area in Florida. He right. and Dahlia met when, he, when she was about 18. And they had an on-again, off-again sexual relationship. And in the interim, he he had an arranged marriage. That didn't work out. He divorced that woman. He had a child with another woman. That didn't work out. I think he ended up back with the first wife. It's very it's a very tortured history. But they would, you know, lose touch and then, then hook up again. And then on the Boynton Beach Police Department side, we have Asim Brown, who was a property crimes detective. Frank Ramsey, who was a supervisor in the property crimes department, or section of the department. Paul Sheridan, who was a supervisor in major case section. And Alex Marino and Brian Anderson, who I believe were both detectives in major case. And Witty Jean, who was an undercover officer with Boynton Beach Police Department. Right, right. So that's a, you know, that's kind of a thumbnail sketch. Okay. Okay, that's a pretty good. That's a pretty good uh, 
Sounds like there's enough players, so to speak. I mean, this Muhammad guy sounds <laughs> and, a little, a little. And I'm not even. I'm not even getting into the prosecutors <laughs> or the judges right. or even really the defense attorneys until later. Well, so, I so, mean, uh, yeah. we, have list, we have it listed here, Dolly is playing. I think I can pretty much – I don't think it takes a genius to realize what Dolly is playing are. Get the money and run. Correct. That was exactly what she wanted to do and, and – I, you know, I believe that she saw Mike DiPolito as a mark from day one, and it seems like that's what happened with the guy from California, Mike Stanley. He was nothing but a mark to her, but she's very good at, at, you know, making men think that she's madly in love with them, and they're the only one for her, and so then they don't see through you know, the fact that she's dumping you for some other guy and you're still madly in love with her and you hook up with her again and you believe everything she says. So, yeah, her plan was to get his money. He owed, uh, by the time he met and married Dahlia, his restitution amount was down to $191,000. And so right off the bat, Dahlia says, look, I have money, you have money, I'll put in $91,000, you give me $100,000, we'll pay off your restitution, you can get off probation, and then we can travel and do things like a normal couple. And my right. thought, good idea. Because of his fraud conviction, the money can't come from him because it's going to be questioned. So the attorney told him the money's got to come from a family member. It can't come from you. So this is a great, you know, great idea, and she's going to put in her own money, and he was really touched that she's going to put in $91,000. Well, he starts giving her checks over time, gets to $100,000, and then wouldn't you know it, the wire transfer never goes through to the attorney. And huh. every time Mike asks, Dahlia's got a different story. She even goes so far as to tell Mike, Maybe your attorney stole the money. Wow. So uh, eventually Mike's not going to, you know, he's not going to let this go. He wants off probation. So then Dahlia comes up with yet another scheme. She has a friend of hers, the husband of a friend of hers, uh, give her $191,000, and she brings home to Mike a cashier's check for $191,000. And they make the appointment to go see the attorney the next day. And he's so excited. He's so happy. He's got this $191,000. Probation is going to be over. They go to the attorney's office. And somehow or another, I don't know how this happened, somehow Dahlia got her hands on that $191,000 cashier's check. And so they're in the attorney's office, and all of a sudden, Dahlia, she's told Mike she's pregnant. She doesn't want to give up this $91,000. She needs her $91,000 back because now she's pregnant and yada, 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 yada. So Mike leaves the attorney's office and goes to his safe deposit box, gets $91,000, 
comes back to the attorney's office building. Uh, Dahlia's nowhere to be found. Finds her, gives her the $91,000. She hands him an envelope. He goes back to the attorney's office, hands it to the secretary, walks out of the office, and before he gets to the elevator, so the attorney comes running and says, what in the hell is this? Because the cashier's check now is for $191. Oh, shit. Yes. So he goes back downstairs, finds Dahlia, takes his $91,000 back, thank goodness. But then Eric Tall, the husband of the friend, is there. And uh, he starts talking to Mike, and, and he gets, somehow gets $91,000, and he's going to loan Mike the rest of the money. And, you know, that's all well and good. And then they go to the attorney's office, and the attorney is like, no, I'm done. This is crazy. I'm not doing this. There's something wrong with that woman. And so then Mike's trying to get uh, – oh, I forgot one other thing. Eric Tall sent Mike's attorney a mortgage, his $230,000 condominium to secure a $50,000 loan. And that's when the attorney said, I'm done. Because I'm not a transactional attorney. You know, I can't advise you on whether this is a good idea or a bad idea. So then Mike has to find another attorney. Well, then Eric Tall's accounts are always frozen, and there's been a suspicious activity. And so... Mike is out $230,000. And it was at that point that Dahlia decided she was never going to be able to pay that money back. He was going to figure out she wasn't pregnant. So that's when the first idea comes to her to have him killed. And she goes to Muhammad Shahade. And they're in Riviera Beach outside a a clothing store. And Dahlia says, Muhammad, Muhammad, do you know somebody that can kill my husband? And Muhammad's like, are you crazy? Shut up. Don't talk about that here. Well, members of a gang called the Buck Wild have heard this conversation between Dahlia and, and Muhammad. And they come over and they grab Dahlia and they whisk her away in a car. She takes them to her house, shows them her house, and she's you know willing to pay them to kill Mike and she'll tell them whatever they want to know. And they come back to Urban Wear and Muhammad's like, this is a bad idea. You shouldn't be doing this. And uh, the guy from the main guy from the gang told Muhammad that bitch is crazy. <laughs> And so they weren't wow. gonna. They weren't gonna. Um, I think she may have given them money, but they weren't gonna do anything because the the property. You know, there are cameras and security and all this stuff, and there's no way they're gonna risk committing a, a you know murder on camera. Absolutely. So not. then, that, that, you know, then. Definitely. So that little plan falls through. Uh, but uh, Dahlia did apparently promise them she'd bought a $38,000 used Range Rover for Muhammad. And so she tells them they can have his Range Rover. So Muhammad takes the Range Rover and sells it back to the dealership and takes the money. 
because <laughs> uh, he's not stupid. <laughs> right. So uh, then Dahlia starts planting drugs on Mike because if he gets busted with drugs, it violates his probation and he goes back into prison for 28 years. Okay, yeah. The first time they're at the Ritz Carlton in Manalpin, Florida, which is in the Palm Beach County area, I believe. And Mike's gone down to work out, they're checking out, and he sees all these cops out in the little driveway area around his truck. And he goes uh-huh. over the truck, they ask if it's his. He says yes. They ask if they can search it. He says yes. Because he's on probation. I mean, he has to let them search right. if they ask. He can't say no, get a warrant. And so he lets them search, and they search, and they don't find anything. And so they let he and Dahlia leave, head back to Boynton Beach. A couple of weeks later, they're out and about, and Dahlia says, hey, why don't we go? Instead of going home, let's go to the city place and have dinner. So they go to City Place, which is a shopping center, and they're in the shopping center, have dinner. They're coming back to the car, and they see police all around Mike's vehicle, and they want to search Mike's vehicle. So he allows them to search it. This time they have a drug dog, Uh and the drug dog finds – hits on the rear of the vehicle and they eventually find in the the in the Tahoe Chevy Tahoe the spare tire is outside under the back of the vehicle. Right. And they find a pack of cigarettes with cocaine and Xanax in a cigarette pack in the spare tire which has been put on backwards. Right. And at that point uh Mike is talking to the officer. He's crying because he doesn't know how that got there. It doesn't belong to him. And he's sure he's going back to prison for 28 years. And luckily, the police also do not think that it's legitimate because of how it was found and where it was found. And they right. probably couldn't have made a case against Mike because it's, it's not inside the vehicle where he has control, it's outside the vehicle in a spare tire that had been put on backwards. Wow. So they they let it go. He still has to each of these contacts he has to report to probation. Uh-huh. And I believe he has to so report the fact that they're looking for drugs. So it's not good for him. Right. When he met Dahlia, he'd been on probation for six years and he hadn't had one contact with police. Yeah, so this is starting to get a little funky. Right, exactly. And so those two times didn't work. The police didn't find it the first time. Mike found it the next day and got rid of it. And then the second time at City Place, the place that it was found, the police didn't think it was legitimate. And so they they seized it and they let Mike go. So then in... Sometime in that summer, Dahlia hooks up with Mike Stanley, the man she'd been living with in California. 
Mm-hmm. And she starts professing her undying love for Mike Stanley. By the way, Muhammad, his nickname was Mike too, so it's very confusing. <laughs> and um, so they start texting and sexing back and forth, and then she enlists Mike Stanley to help her in these little schemes. She has him pretend to be a doctor. So that right. her pregnancy lie doesn't get busted. And she has him pretend to be an attorney. And the first thing they do is they, they say, let's get Mike to think he's on administrative probation. He'll stop showing up for, for probation meetings, and they'll violate him. Right. So there's this, you know, elaborate schemes. A friend of her mother's meets them down in Miami and takes a letter to a judge that Richard told Mike to write and says, yeah, Richard's in depositions, but, you know, he's going to take care of this right away. And then nothing ever comes of it. And this is, I think, sometime in July. Uh, In the middle of July, Dahlia manages to get away and hook up with Mike Stanley at the Marriott and have lots of sex with him while he visits from California. Um, which is kind of ironic because she claimed in her sentencing memorandum that Mike never let her out of his sight. Huh. She's going off to meet with Muhammad. She claims she's a real estate agent. Um, the only property she ever sold as a real estate agent was Mike's condo. So, uh, And then finally the last thing was Richard told Mike you should put the condo in Dahlia's name so that probation doesn't find out about it. And he had a federal judgment that, you know, they might have seized the condo. So, you know, they're they're trying to get him, you need to hide this, you need to hide this. So put it in Dahlia's name. Uh, unfortunately, in Florida, as with a lot of community property states, the marital residence, it doesn't matter how the the title reads uh-huh. the spouse has an interest and so in order to sell it or mortgage it the spouse has to sign unless when you purchase it the spouse signs off and says it's not my property I don't want it I don't want any interest in it so uh, that was the final thing but when the title agent told them, or the attorney, title attorney told them, yeah, well, he's still going to have to sign if you want to do anything. That's when Dahlia ramps up her plans to have Mike killed. Well, damn. And um, she goes back to Muhammad Shahade, and she says, you know, I want him killed. I need a gun. Will you buy me a gun? I'll buy your gun. I'll give you $5,000 to buy me a gun. I'll give you $5,000 for your gun. And then she tries to steal his gun. So he realizes she's already had Larry Coe from the Buck Wild Gang involved. That's serious. Now she's trying to steal his gun. She's really serious about killing her husband. So he goes into Boynton Beach PD on July 31st, 2009. And he's interviewed by Asim Brown and Frank Ramsey. And they take his initial information. 
they take him out and drive around trying to find where Dahlia lives. Because all Muhammad knows is a woman named Delilah, because in Arabic, Dahlia is Delilah. He doesn't know her last name. He says he knew her maiden name, but he never provided them with her maiden name. Doesn't know where she lives and doesn't know her husband's name. And then the next day, that's when the Boynton Beach police get involved. They have a controlled call. They set up a meeting at the mobile gas station near where Dahlia and Mike lives. And they get Dahlia on camera, on video, talking about killing Mike, uh, talking about people that she can name as having a motive to kill Mike, and handing over $1,200 in cash to Muhammad, who says the hitman needs $1,200 for a gun. Damn. <laughs> it don't get much. Uh, don't get much more clear and convincing right. than that. Right. And you know the the crime, the solicitation crime, was completed at that point. She's talking to Muhammad about killing Mike. She gives him money for a hitman to kill Mike. That there's your solicitation. The only thing is she doesn't have a date and time. So BP uh, Boynton Beach Police. They uh, have Muhammad telling her, I know this guy from underground casinos. He can do it. He's great. And so they set up a meeting with the undercover hitman, who was Witty Jean, the narcotics officer. And uh, that meeting happens on August 3rd. And it's in the parking lot of CVS station. It is also on video. There are audios of Dahlia talking to Muhammad, talking to the hitman. They arrange for the hit to happen on Wednesday, August 5th. On the 4th, Witty Jean calls and says, be out of the house by 6.15. And at 6.15 on August 5th, Dahlia walks out of the house with a $3,000 Prada bag and every bit of expensive jewelry that she owns in that bag to leave the house and go to the gym. And while she's gone, Boynton Beach Police Department sets up a fake crime scene yeah. with crime tape and crime lab and somebody dusting the doors. And they notify Mike DiPolito that his wife wanted to have somebody kill him, and they whisk him off to the police station. They call Dahlia back. Dahlia Dahlia comes back, and you've you've seen the viral video. Everybody's seen the viral video of Dahlia walking up. Is everything okay? And Frank Randy's saying, I'm sorry, your husband's dead. And before he said, or your husband's been killed, before he says, she's, oh, no, oh, no, oh, you know, the over, overly dramatic reaction. Right. Um, and everybody's seen it. And it's hilarious. And right. Absolutely. <laughs> then they, they take her down. But, you know, at that point, they're still treating her as the victim's wife. She rides in the front seat of the car. She's not handcuffed. 
a couple of, one of the things that has always kind of bothered me, she kept asking, I want to see him, I want to see him, I want to see him. She wanted to make sure he was dead. Correct, exactly. And then when they wouldn't let her see Mike, she's like, I got to go in and check on my dogs. It's like your dogs are with animal control. It's okay. You don't want to see him. Let's go. You got to do this. So then they go to the station and she's interviewed. And her interview um, initially starts off, they're treating her as a victim or a potential witness. And so Uh she's talking about the stock fraud and all these connected people that got sent up the river and people thinking he owed money. And she even at one point says he had money he was supposed to use for restitution. He did something else with it and he told everybody I stole it. And, you know, naming all these people. I'm like, the only name I know is Pasquale. All these other people, I don't know their names, Pasquale, but they're in the news and their families are connected and you don't know their names. But um, it's it's one of those things with, um, you know, some people lie and they get very specific about detail, like Jody Arias. And then some people lie, but they keep it general. So it's hard for you to check it out. And it's hard for you to determine whether it's, it's, it's not it's true or not because like she said oh, the only no- name I know is Pasquale and so they you know go around in circles with her for a little bit and then finally I think Paul Sheridan he was an older gentleman and I don't think he had a lot of patience for Dahlia and her nonsense because finally he's like wait let, let me check something and he leaves the room comes back in and a minute later, he calls somebody and has Woody Jean in cuffs brought into the interrogation room and asks Dahlia, do okay. you know him? And what does Dahlia say? No, never seen him before. Well, then, oh, you know, oh. Paul Sheridan's like, oh, no, <laughs> I can't take this anymore. The game is up. We know what you did. It's on audio. It's on video. We have it all. Just explain why you did it. And then Dahlia starts trying to manipulate. She starts crying. And she starts saying, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. I don't understand. Why are you mean? I didn't do anything. Oh, Lord. And then... Later on, there's another attempt to interview her by Alex Marino, who was kind of the lead investigator, and Brian Anderson. And again, Marino's being good cop, and he's trying to be nice and calm and quiet. And Anderson's like, "You gotta quit. You better quit this nonsense now. We got you on tape. We've got video. They even played a tape or a video part for her." To say, you know, that's you? Is that your voice? And they're saying, is that your voice? And she's like, I just, I didn't do anything. She's not saying, yes, that's my voice. She's just saying, I didn't do anything. Or, I don't know why you're doing this. Well, no, you didn't. You didn't do anything. You just tried to pay to have somebody do it for you. 
Exactly. Exactly. That is exactly. And as I watched the, um, as I watched one of the trials, that is what I kept screaming in my head that she didn't want to do it herself. Although I don't, I don't think, I think if Boynton Beach police had contacted Mike DiPolito and said, your wife is trying to hire somebody to kill you. I think she might have done it. True. True. I can see that. So, and, and that's one of the criticisms. They, they should have immediately contacted Mike DiPolito. Why? They had her under control. They had a hitman. She was happy with the idea of the hitman. And Mike was safe as long as she thought that that hitman was going to kill him for her. So, um, but that's, and then she was charged in September of 2009 with solicitation to commit first degree murder with a firearm. Damn. Okay. So, and, you know, solicitation to commit first degree murder in just about any state is almost as bad as murder itself. Although a, a solicitation to commit murder, murder would be a capital offense. Right. But in Maybe. Florida, it's, you know, you can serve up to 30 years in prison. So it is a serious felony. <clears throat> right. You'd think it'd be pretty serious. I mean, shit. Somebody could mm-hmm. possibly die. <laughs> Correct. Okay. We've gotten through the interrogation. Let's go ahead. I mean, obviously, everybody's kind of understanding the bullshit. So let's get through the first trial. What's the prosecution's case? I mean, are they just literally going out here and saying, guys, she's going to come in here and bullshit you, but let's be honest. You guys know what's going on here. Elizabeth Parker, the first prosecutor, did a bang-up job. She threw everything and the kitchen sink at Dahlia. She had testimony regarding the theft of money. She had the testimony regarding the uh, uh, Buckwild gang and the contacts between the Buckwild and, and Dahlia. She had the the Range Rover purchase from Muhammad. They had the, the text and the sex between Mike Stanley and, and Dahlia. And one of the funny things, too, is after Dahlia meets with Muhammad Shahade and this hitman thing is going gonna, is gonna to happen, there are these texts between Mike Stanley and Dahlia which make it look like they were just role-playing and that they weren't really involved in any kind of relationship that they were just doing this to build Mike Stanley's confidence. Right. right. Of course, the problem is that Dahlia had two phones. She had her regular phone in her name, and then she had her escort phone with a pseudonym that was a burner phone from Metro PCS, and that had all her escort business on it. And all the sex with Mike Stanley were on the escort phone, not on the regular okay. phone. And leading into the first trial, Mike Stanley was deposed, and he had some story about 
how Mike DiPolito would get Dahlia's phone and send those texts to Mike Stanley just to mess with him. Hmm. So Dahlia's, Dahlia's little wheels are always turning, but I think the hamster is kind of not, I don't know, the hamster is just not very bright. So maybe he only turns so far and then he ends. And so she doesn't think her plans or her idea or her lies through to what, you know, simple questions that might be asked. <laughs> and the one, you know, the one with, with Mike Stanley is, well, which phone? The escort phone or the regular phone? And all of it was on her escort phone. And I think Mike DiPolito knew she had it, but didn't have access to it. So how did right. he get to send Mike Stanley sexed? Um, so that was, yeah. But they, they threw everything at her, and they, they had her. And the theft of the money and all those other things provides a context for what starts on July 31st when Muhammad Shahade goes to Point Beach Police Department. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, they, they had her dead to rights. And the best evidence is audio and video. Right. Because right. they've got um, multiple audios of conversations between her and Muhammad, conversations between her and the hitman, and then they've got two great videos with her, with her, with Muhammad and with the hitman. And she just can't stop talking. Yeah. I mean, she kind of sounds like she's got a big problem with shooting herself in the, uh, in the, uh, foot. Well, no, because you know what? She's another one of those, like Casey and like, like Jody Arias, even when the lie is busted, she will double down on it and insist that that is what happened. And then she'll try to manipulate and cry. And if crying doesn't work, (laughs) pretty much. Uh, And if crying doesn't work, then she'll get mean. Or she'll, you know, I do everything for you. You never do anything for me. Kind of you know, lay on a guilt trip. Right. Right. And then the defense, yeah, at the first trial, the defense was... What's this reality? (laughs) The defense was that Mike DiPolito wanted to be on reality TV because they watched reality TV all the time. And Mike always said, we're more interesting than that. We should be on reality TV. So this was all an audition for reality TV. Oh, my and oh, my God. oh it gets oh it gets better. The Muhammad Shahade came up with the idea that he would go to Boynton Beach Police Department and he would get them to make all the videos and the audios because they'd be more realistic. Oh, 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 my God. Now, of course, no one asked Dahlia, well, Dahlia, if you get the police to make videos for you, when do you think you're going to have access to those? In discovery prior to your criminal trial? 
because you're not going to have you're not going to have access to those to be able to post them on social media. They're going to be in evidence. Yeah, so, like I said, the hamster the hamster's running, but he's not getting anywhere. The lights are on, but nobody's home. <laughs> No, it's not even that. Like I said, it's, the hamster can only run so far, and then he stops. And so then Dahlia goes with that and doesn't think it through, like, okay, logic and reason. Yeah, I don't need those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so that was the yeah. And, of course, okay. the, first, the first jury did not buy it. And, and one of the problems, too, is that Dahlia is placing herself in a position where she would need to testify. Because there's only right. so much you can do with leading questions to prosecution and defense witnesses. Yeah. And what they're trying to do is negate intent. If Dahlia didn't have an intent for Mike to really be killed, then she didn't commit a crime. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you, yeah, if, if that wasn't your implicit intention so, but I mean let's be honest how many times did she really say how can you prove how can you prove or disprove intent without just going off of what somebody says right well that's why she, that's why it was an audition and she was only acting and following a script that Mike DiPolito created so in addition to a nonsensical ridiculous defense She's blaming the victim, or her intended wow. victim, for and, and saying he's throwing her under the bus. He's supposed to come forward and say it was never real, and he won't do that. So, you wow. know, that tells me it was real, and he had no idea. Because Mike DiPolito's yeah. not on any of the videos. He's not on any of the phone calls. How is it going to get him a reality show when he's the intended victim who is off screen the entire time? Yeah, that makes absolutely no sense. Right. Like Like I said, hamster does not get very far (laughs) on the wheel. Maybe it's a square wheel. It's a square wheel. And so the hamster runs and runs and runs and finally gets it to turn over one time. And then he's so tired he has to stop. Yeah, and then he runs and runs and runs. <laughs> it's, a, it's a whole day for her to have a complete thought. So she's obviously uh, found guilty. So we move into Correct. sentencing and then a Correct. appellate bond and house arrest. How do you get Correct. bond in house arrest after your sentence? Well, in Florida, um, Florida is a special, special place full of special, special people. And uh, in Florida, they have, have a very liberal post-arrest release program. So the two years between Dahlia's arrest in 2009 and her first trial in 2011, she was on house arrest. She wore an ankle monitor. Right. She was confined to her mother's home. She was limited in where she could go and what she would do, could do, but she was not in the county jail. Um, right. It may have something to do with jail 
population issues and things like that. I'm not sure. But they're very liberal post-arrest release. And then she's sentenced to 20 years. And Judge Colbath, the first judge, excoriates her. I mean, he just calls her evil and, you know, these plans, these horrible things you did to that man and, and just senses her to 20 years. Well, I mean, and then turns, turns around, she applies for a pellet bond, and he grants it. And so she goes back out to house arrest. I think she was sentenced in June, and she was back out in September. So during the entire direct appeal process, she's on house arrest at her mother's house, wearing an ankle monitor. Uh, And the irony is, had she pled guilty in 2009-2010, she would be done with prison by now. Because if she pled guilty, she probably would have been sentenced to less than 10 years. And she would have been done by now. But she was rolling the dice, and and so they filed their direct appeal. Uh-huh. And, and she got she got new attorneys, correct? Correct. The direct appeal, um, there was one issue, and it had merit. When jurors were being interviewed during jury selection, Judge Colbath did not do individual questioning, which is called voir dire. He questioned the juries in a pool, the jurors in a pool, in front of each other. And at some point during questioning, one juror volunteered that he'd read an article about her trying to poison her husband. And he said that in front of the whole jury pool. Judge Colbath denied the request to strike those jurors and send them away Uh and um, denied requests to have more, you know, further jury questioning uh, individually. And that was a merit. That was an error that required that her original, her first conviction be reversed. Uh, because he should have, because the poisoning allegation at that time had been ruled inadmissible, along with the claim, the the evidence about her being an escort. Those things were inadmissible in the solicitation trial uh, because they are more prejudicial than probative. So. Uh, that it was reversed, and after the reversal, she gets new attorneys, Mark Iglarsh and Brian Claypool, who are basically talking heads for HLN, CNN, Fox News, ABC. You know, Brian Claypool has never met a camera he doesn't like. Um, right. And he's there. You know, they're talking heads, legal legal analysts. But they're not full-time legal analysts. You know, they're not employed by HLN or ABC. Uh, they are right. the the go-to guys that participate right. the, 
experts or whatever. Right, right. And so Mark Idlarch was a, a Florida lawyer. And so he joined the team. He's based in Miami. Um, in, I think, Dade County. And then Brian Claypool's California. And Greg Rosenfeld is a local Palm Beach attorney. Right, right. So, so she gets these new she gets these new lawyers and they I'm assuming they're automatically coming out and saying, Hey, not only do I want this, you know, restarted, I I want this just completely thrown out now. This is complete bullshit, right? Correct. Exactly. They uh they filed a motion to dismiss and what they were doing is they were alleging objective entrapment, which is outrageous conduct police that oh. renders charges uh that that violates due process and, and so the state can't even pursue charges against a person. Now I'm gonna need to explain how the police. I'm gonna need to explain to me how the police acted outrageously. Well, the problem is, is that the uh, the facts relied on by Dahlia DiPolito and her attorneys, and what actually happened, are like night and day. For example, her attorneys claim that Boynton Beach Police Department turned a domestic violence claim or complaint by Muhammad Shahade into a murder-for-hire case to impress the cops' TV show. Wow. Now, the problem with that is that, yes, Muhammad Shahade said, Dahlia tells me her husband abuses her. She tells me she's in an abusive marriage. She wants to be dead or he needs to be dead. And and he does make those statements in a couple of places. He may have made those statements in depositions for trial. But in his police statement, he mentions those things in passing. But what he really talks about is the trying to hire the Buck Wild Gang, the offering them his Range Rover, the... Uh, uh, the trying to steal his gun, trying to poison Mike, uh, all these you know other things are a, a huge part. And their other flaw in reasoning is that police are not required to investigate the crime that the reporting individual believes was committed, nor are they under an obligation to investigate it in the way believes it should be investigated. That's like saying if I see kids in my neighbor's house putting their electronics on the porch and I call the cops and I say, okay, they're they're putting electronics on the porch. They're in my neighbor's house. They don't live there. They don't belong there. But they're kids. I don't want them to get into trouble. So just talk to them. NOPD is going to tell me to pound sand. And they're going right. to come and they're going to arrest the kids and they're going to seize the property, and it's going to be evidence in a criminal trial. Um, so because that's that's what they say. They say Muhammad, all Muhammad Shahadi wanted was for them to call Dahlia. 
Now, they also argued that this was an acting project and that there was a script that Dahlia and Muhammad were following and that Muhammad went to Boynton Beach PD to make it look more realistic. So, as with Dahlia, they don't have their story straight. They Uh did kind of a shotgun approach of let's just find every mistake and every problem that we can and let's twist the facts around to make it sound like she didn't do anything wrong and then, you know, see what one flies. And so that didn't work. And then, you know, Dolly gets up there and like I said, they suborn perjury. And I hope Brian Claypool's listening to this. I hope Mark Iglarsh is listening to this. You suborn perjury. Because Brian Claypool told Nancy Grace a year after Dahlia's testimony that the whole reality TV audition script thing was a lie made up by Michael Saunick. He seems to have forgotten he put his client on the stand, and that's exactly what she testified to. Right. Yeah. I mean, I just... A lot of this I don't understand at all, like, where they're even, and maybe it's just beyond my level of comprehension, we're going to go with that and be nice, (laughs) but let's talk about, (laughs) let's talk about, I mean, we've pretty much gone through the motion to dismiss and it's denial, the second trial, what's the pro- has anything changed for the prosecution's case? Well, the uh, we also skipped when the motion to dismiss was denied. They filed an appeal with the 4th District Court of Appeal, which is an intermediate appellate court in Florida, right. in the district that Dahlia's case is in. And they declined to hear it because it's not a, it, it's a discretionary review. They declined to review it. Well, then they didn't like that, so they filed an appeal to the Florida State Supreme Court, which also denied or declined to review it, saying, the 4th District said no. You can't ask us to review it now because you don't get two bites at the appellate apple. So... um, uh, And if Dahlia's listening, I, I think she hopefully... Hopefully, if she's listening, she's getting some ideas for some ineffective assistance of counsel claims because she's likely going to need those. Um, so that that was unsuccessful. So the second trial, the prosecution pared down. Uh, Elizabeth Parker had left, and the new attorneys were Craig Williams and Laura Laurie. Laura had Laura Laurie had worked with Elizabeth Parker on the first trial. So and she was working with Craig Williams on the on the second trial. But they pared down their case. They didn't call Mike DiPolito. They didn't put on any evidence about the thefts of money. Uh they didn't put on any of the text between Mike Stanley and Mike uh and Dahlia. Uh they pared down their case because in the end, the video and the audio are the best evidence. Right. And 
you know, I, I think I think in a way they were trying to prevent Mike DiPolito having to be subject to Brian Claypool and his theatrics and his just general ridiculousness. Um, true. I, I, I've been doing this for years. My mother was a was a legal legal assistant, legal secretary, and I mean I have seen some great lawyers in my time, and Brian Claypool is not one of them. Because just like his client, he doesn't mean what he says. Or rather, he says something, and when you call him on it, I didn't mean that. That's not what I meant at all. So, um, and he's he's just, he annoys the crap out of me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I can understand that. I can I, I can understand that. I mean, he can certainly get under people's skin, for sure, for sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. So. But, um, they obviously, they blame the, uh, they blame the PD. Correct. They try to negate the intent, but once again, I feel like that's not exactly, uh, exactly 100%. What's the domestic violence complaint? Well, they they just um, they they had raised claims that Muhammad Shahadi was reporting uh, domestic violence to Boynton Beach PD when he went in on Jan- on July thirty first, and mm-hmm. that Boynton Beach PD ignored the domestic violence and manufactured a murder for hire case to appear on cops. Because that's another that's another little point, but the reason I hadn't talked about cops prior to now is because cops wasn't involved in, until the fake crime scene. They came into Boynton Beach okay. the day before, and they were there to film the fake crime scene. They weren't there when Muhammad Shahadi came in on the 31st of July. They weren't there on August 4th, on August 1st when they met, Dahlia and Muhammad met, at the mobile station. They weren't there on the 3rd when she met with Woody Jean. And they weren't there on the 4th at the time Woody Jean told her to call, you know, called her and said, be out at 6.15 in the morning. It's going down tomorrow. So, uh, but they, they had reached out to cops in September and they had gone back and forth September of 2008, November, January, and then Apparently, in April 2009, they did do a brief ride-along with Boynton Beach while they were in another jurisdiction. But they had some time, and they they needed to fill – I guess they had needed to fill an episode. So they rode with Boynton Beach police officers. And so then they arranged to come back in, I think, May of 2009. They arranged to come back for a longer stint in August. The date was initially August 11th, but cops changed that in July, and they moved it forward to August 4th. Um, but yeah, but they were saying, you know, that all, all Boynton Beach wanted was an interesting story for cops. Well, you know, that would be true if cops required police agencies to give them set stories. But anybody who watched cops knows 
their main formula is riding with uniformed patrol officers. And whatever calls sure. happen on a shift, they document them. And then I guess they pick from those, you know, those calls to make Which their episodes. Right. Correct. But another another thing you got to remember, cops is not in it for sensationalism because they had a an armed robbery shootout between police in Omaha, Nebraska, and an armed robbery suspect. A can a sound man with cops was killed. The suspect was killed, and I believe other people were wounded because it was like at a Wendy's restaurant. That footage has never seen the light of day, and it's never going to see the light of day because cops won't air it. Right. Because so, some people in this they actually have a you know sense of not being a uh, what's the word I'm looking for ethical. Right, and ethical. A what? Maybe they're ethical. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for. Well, I, you know, I think it's that it's not, um, you know, cops doesn't condition a department's appearance on having a murder case or a kidnapping case. If those things develop while they're present, yeah, they'll cover it. Again, their primary formula is riding with patrol officers. Right, and so that that's not you know cops was not going to come on August fourth and say oh you don't have anything interesting bye and leave yeah. so claiming that it was all you know it was all they're driven to do this to have their appearance on cops to give cops something good it just doesn't it doesn't fly because cops didn't expect that from them. And there's no evidence right. that they had any reason to think that cops would expect that from them. Yeah, that's just insanity. Well, Lisa, we're yeah. right here at the top of the hour. We're going to go ahead and take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about – you're going to have to explain to me just how the hell there was even a possibility of a mistrial. Then we're going to co- cover the uh, third trial, and we'll bring you right up to date. With what's going on in this Dahlia Dippolito case. Uh, We'll be right back here on Clear and Convincing. Are you looking for the best deals for your vaping needs and accessories? Then check out the guys at Sub-Ohm Vapors. With daily specials on a wide selection of mods and juices, they will surely become your one-stop shop. Ray and the guys at Sub-Ohm Vapors located at 6929 JFK Boulevard, Suite C in North Little Rock, Arkansas. Want to see you? Join them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. But more importantly, visit the store or call 501-392-6487. Sub-Ohm Vapors. Vape it like you built it.
right, we're back. Yes, back, ma'am, Michael. We sure are. Yes, ma'am, we sure are back. And I I mean, I just off the top, like this has bothered me ever since I saw it. How the hell is there a mistrial? Well, I think that the uh the state's abbreviated case in the second trial did not give the jurors the context that they all needed. Okay, and so, so three of the jurors and the two alternates just could not find her guilty. Wow. I... Because without the context, the the defense claims about domestic violence and ignoring the domestic violence and lying to Muhammad Shahade and tricking him and entrapping her and all those things, without that context to show that July wasn't the first time murder for hire crossed her mind, um, they just couldn't Makes find sense. her guilty. So, so um, yeah, and I don't, you know, I would, as a juror, even without that context, those videos and audios, I would have no problem. And three of the jurors on that jury had no problem convicting her because they were split three to three. Um, Again, some jurors in today's criminal justice system want more. And sometimes they want more than the state is required to prove. They want beyond a shadow of a doubt when it's not beyond a shadow of a doubt. True, 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 true. I and they, that. they also probably call you know thought that the alleged lies and coercion of Muhammad Shahade and failure to supervise him and all these other claims were reasonable doubt in their minds. And I don't fault them for that. And I don't fault the prosecution for the abbreviated case. Mm-hmm. Because again. The audio and video is more than enough. Should be, yeah. Definitely agree. Definitely agree. But unfortunately, I think we just seen it. It we it unfortunately wasn't to these uh, to at least three of the six uh, jurors here. Correct. Correct. And the good thing is that it did not result in an acquittal. Right. Very true. Very true. So let's talk about the third trial. You know, the prosecution has to. I I mean, in my mind, they have to go back to the winning formula. They have to go back to what brought them to the dance, right? They have to bring everything from the first trial back, correct? They, They did to a degree. There are some things they didn't include. Um that Elizabeth Parker did, but they did. They brought Michael DiPolito in and he testified about the money and the thing with the attorney and the cashier's check and the drugs planted in his vehicle and um, the pregnancy, the, the false pregnancy claim and, you know, just about everything that happened to give the context 
And they also brought in the text messages between Dahlia and Mike Stanley, which even though none of them mentions killing Mike, it does show a pattern of trying to ruin his life, trying to get bank accounts seized or frozen or trying to figure out how to wire all the money in Mike's bank account to Dahlia. So, you know, that that provides a context to show that, you know, she was out to destroy Michael DiPolito by any means that she could. I can see your point there. And speaking with, speaking of sticking with, well, sort of winning formulas, the defense doesn't change the strategy up from the second trial to the third trial. And it's exactly the same. We're going to blame the PD, negate the attempt, and our domestic violence. There you go. Correct. But one of the other things in the the third trial, and I haven't posted publicly about it or said anything about it, but I did send an email to Craig Williams because one of the themes was – airing of the episode Cops that featured Dahlia DiPolito's case. It was titled Smooth Criminal, which is why Uh I chose Smooth Criminal Alien Ant Farm. This song was released in October 2009. And so I emailed him and I posted a link to a cop's webpage that showed the cops episode, which Claypool represented as, as airing months after Dahlia was arrested actually did not air until after her first trial concluded in September. Her first trial, she was convicted May of 2011. That cops episode aired in September of 2011. Oh, okay. So Langley Productions held on to that episode for two years. And that's a standard deal that they have with every department. They will not air footage from a case until prosecution has been completed. Now, they can't be expected to hold it indefinitely waiting on direct appeal or retrial or things like that, but they will wait for the first case to be tried for a jury to avoid tainting a jury pool. So, um, and that was, that was included when he was talking to Stephanie Slater because there was a podcast in conjunction with that episode. He said, what date did that air? And she said, September, whatever, 2011. So it's after the first trial. Yes. (laughs) So that claim of the cops episode tainting the trial, the first trial is gone. Yeah. And um, like I said, the, the the text messages and all the things that were going on with Mike, as well as the um, fact that when they tried to use Muhammad Shahade to negate intent on Dahlia DiPolito's part, the poisoning allegation came in on impeachment. Because they had the defense had him testify that when he went to Boynton Beach Police on July 31st, he did not believe Dahlia DiPolito wanted to kill her husband. Hmm. 
and they confronted him with his inconsistent statements in that interview, including Dahlia DiPolito had told him that she tried to poison Mike and it didn't work. And that was just a few weeks before asking Muhammad to get her a gun. Right, right. And so... Uh, the jury, the jury went out and came back forty. I think it was about forty-five minutes, and convicted her. And this time, she gets sentenced. What is she sentenced to this time? Judge Glenn Kelly, um, who uh, I, I I would love for him to be listening because he is one of the most patient, intelligent, well-spoken judges I've ever seen in my entire life. And I say uh-huh. patience because he had to deal with Greg Rosenfeld and Brian Claypool arguing with him. He would make a ruling and Greg Rosenfeld would continue arguing. And say, you know, I don't mean oh, to argue well. with you. And the judge is like, I, I'm not arguing. That's my ruling. Right. So, but um, he was very patient. He found uh, he could have sentenced her to up to 30 years, and uh-huh. that was what the state was asking for. But, yeah. you know, he he kind of weighed all the factors, and he didn't feel that it was right for him to go beyond the 20 years that she had originally been sentenced in 2011. No. Um, because even though a different judge can sentence you to more, sentencing somebody to more after they've appealed kind of seems punitive or vindictive. And then he also weighed she had been on house arrest for eight years. She doesn't get credit for house arrest, but he felt that she should get a little credit in some way because of that, the length of time. And so he sentenced her to 16 years in prison. And, you know, I would have preferred to see 30 years, but another thing, and I I didn't mention this before either, while she was on house arrest in 2016, well, late 2015, she got pregnant. Mm Mm-hmm. With a convicted felon, who was living in her mother's house with her? Oh, Lord. And had a child. And so, you know, 16 years, he's going to be nearly an adult by the time she's released. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Um, So... You know, I, I I think, like I said, it was a serious crime that she committed. And, and if she only, if she pled guilty in 2010, 2011, she probably would have gotten four or five years. She could have gotten, a, you know, a, a minimum sentence if she'd pled guilty, if she'd admitted it. But she didn't. It's just like, you know, it's just like the, the initial interrogation. She didn't do anything. It was an act. It was acting. I was acting. There was a script. It was Mike's idea. It was Muhammad's idea to go to the police. 
I was just following along. They threatened me. They coerced me. They made me one of the one of the most egregious allegations in the um, motion to dismiss was mm-hmm. that when they were in Chile's, Muhammad Shahadi was wearing a wire, but there was apparently some kind of equipment malfunction. I think where the wire was not transmitting and or not recording. Right. And so instead of pushing the, the meeting back and getting a working wire, they just let him go into Chili's without a wire or without a wire that worked. Um, right. And she claimed that while they were in Chili's, she tried to back out. She said she didn't want to go through with this plan. She was tired of it. It wasn't a good idea to have the police involved. And he said they were pressuring him, and so he threatened her, and he threatened to hurt her and her family and showed her his gun because he had a concealed weapons permit. The problem with that little story is prior to Muhammad Shahadi meeting with her, Boynton Beach police always took the weapon out of his car. Right. He did not have the weapon on him. And he denied threatening her or showing her a gun or that she ever tried to back out. Hmm. So, um, and, you know, he's he's credible when it comes to how the police lied to him and threatened him and coerced him and made him do something he didn't want to do and laughed at him and all those things. But he's not he's not credible when he says he didn't threaten her. Right. Um, and I mean, I, when I was going through the motion to dismiss over the weekend, I I went through and found like six pages of of facts that were just totally wrong. Um, and uh, that's also one of the things that I think came back and bit the defense in the ass because they would make accusation accusations against Detective Marino with the confidential informant agreement. And turns out, Asim Brown is the one who did the confidential informant agreement. Okay. Detective Marino wasn't involved in that process. So saying Marino lied to him about the agreement, when he didn't talk to Marino about the agreement, kind of hurt their credibility. And then one of the other accusations was, instead of choosing Frank Ramsey who's a decorated, experienced officer who's worked with hundreds of confidential informants, Paul Sheridan chooses the inexperienced Alex Moreno, who's never had an informant in his life. But what they didn't you know, remember or didn't catch is that Sheridan and Moreno were in major case. Murder for hire is a major case, not a property crime. And Brown and Ramsey were property crime detectives. They just got, you know, they just talked to Muhammad when he came in because they were on duty that night. True. True. So. Um, so, obviously, this time they, you know, pretty much said, hey, you've had enough time out of jail, you're going to jail. So they denied the appellate bond, correct? Correct. Judge Kelly, again, he considered all the factors, and he just found that, uh, well, 
prior to the hearing on her, I think it was prior to the hearing on her sentencing, uh, she was recorded on a phone call talking to her baby daddy, who's a convicted felon, about a prison escape in South Carolina where the, the escapee was found in Texas. Mm-hmm. And they refer to, in, in one part of the, the call, the, the guy says, you know, I can't wait for you to be out of there and for us to get on with our plan. Because Dahlia, low Miss Hamster, on a square block, has more plans. What they are, who knows. But I think that probably a logical presumption is that the plan was she gets out on a pellet bond, she and the felon boyfriend and the son take off. Her mother's from Peru. She's got family down in Peru. Go down to Peru and start a new life. Uh, so Judge Kelly said, no, the, the son's going to be kind of a temptation to flee. You're right. Makes sense. <laughs> so we're going to deny appellate bond. And they've appealed that with the uh, fourth district. They filed two motions for review, and both motions have been denied. So what's the state of the direct appeal? Obviously, you know, the appeal it. The appellate bond is not going to happen, but what is the uh, state of the direct appeal on the conviction and the sentence? Well, uh, DiPolito is appealing basically four issues. The admission of the uh, poisoning allegation to impeach Muhammad Shahadi on cross-examination. And I don't think that that is going to be uh, successful because as Judge Kelly explained to the defense several times, the prosecution is not required to sit on their hands during cross-examination when they have an inconsistent statement. And prior to ruling that the evidence could be admitted on impeachment, Judge Mm -hmm. Kelly explained, if you do this, it's going to come in. It's going to become admissible as impeachment. Uh, Another thing is that um, the emotion in limine, which is how the poisoning allegation was kept out, is not set in stone. Things can change. And emotion in limine only deals with the state's case in chief not with cross-examination of witnesses, especially during the defense case. And the biggest problem for the defense is Muhammad Shahade was their witness. They questioned Muhammad Shahade and asked him the questions and got the answers that the judge had told them would open the door to impeachment. And so I just, like I said, I don't think they're going to be successful on that because as much as they want to argue we were sandbagged and we were blind, blindsided and they stipulated that they weren't going to bring it in, you know, the analysis, Judge Kelly did the analysis three or four times during the hearing. 
and the analysis is spot on correct. And I don't think the appellate court, the appellate court's going to wonder how they could be, you know, so dense that they didn't get it. Just don't ask Muhammad Shahade whether he thought she was was going to kill her husband. Do not ask him that question. Mm-hmm. And then the poisoning allegation and the the you know attempt to get the Buck Wild Gang to kill Mike would never have come in. They had already had their they had a police expert testify, and he had negated intent. Wasn't strong, but he had he had done his best to negate intent. So they really should have just left it alone with Muhammad Shahade. And again, that's the big that's the big one as far as ineffective assistance, because they undertook a course of questioning that had been you know they'd been told several times that if they did take that course, then the prosecution did not have to ignore an inconsistent statement made by Muhammad Shahade. Um, right. And then the second, uh, the second issue they're appealing is um, Dahlia, her mom, Rosenfeld, Brian Claypool's brother, and secretaries or, or paralegals who work with Claypool and Rosenfeld all claim to have seen a juror sleeping during the testimony of Tim Williams and during the testimony of Muhammad Shahade. Okay. And so the defense wanted to interview the jurors and find out if she was sleeping and talk to the jurors who woke her up and uh, have the judge remove her as a juror. And the problem with that, if they'd done the research is a sleeping juror is something that a court can observe for themselves. So they don't it doesn't matter if you have ten people in the gallery who say a juror was sleeping. It, the judge's uh-huh. observations of the juror take precedence. Right. And Judge Kelly had observed the juror and in his observation she was not sleeping. And so I don't, again, I don't think that that's going to be a successful issue because it's not something that happened outside of the, uh, outside of the courtroom. Uh-huh. Um, it's something that happened in the courtroom within sight of the judge, and the judge's observations are, like I said, they take precedence over what 10 people in the gallery on the defense side of the courtroom might think they thought they saw. Absolutely. And uh, then they wanted to raise an objective entrapment defense, which basically would have put the the prosecution in a position not only of proving the crime beyond a reasonable doubt, but also proving that the conduct of the Boynton Beach Police Department beyond a reasonable doubt, was not, uh, there was no misconduct by Boynton Beach Police Department in everything that the the defense was alleging. Um, And again, objective entrapment is a due process question 
that is a question that is decided by a judge. Kind of similar to stand your ground, although stand your ground is statutory. But right, it's a due process. Right. And that is and, – and the thing is, on her motion to dismiss, she didn't prove the facts that she alleged in her motion to dismiss. And the judge actually found Dahlia DiPolito not credible as far as her story about acting project and actor's presentation and Muhammad threatening her and, and all those things. So um, I, I don't think that that's going to be successful because, again, objective entrapment is not a question for a jury. It's a question right. for the judge. And then that, that right. she's also alleging that she was objectively entrapped, so she's appealing the motion to dismiss, essentially. Okay, okay. Well, it appears that we're pretty much where, you know, we are in real life. Uh, definitely want us to keep updated on this case, so we may have to, you know, with yeah. This, your updates, we may have to do another Dolly and Dippolito uh, well, joke. I mean, this thing I just was, keeps spinning and spinning. Yeah, I was thinking about something, and I, I would like to ask everybody who's listening on Facebook and um, or, or who saw my post on Facebook and is listening, and anybody who's listening now, post in the comment section on the page. Uh, you can private message me on Facebook. You can uh, DM me on Twitter, O'Brien L. Ann, or at O'Brien L. Ann, uh, if you have any ideas for cases. But also I was thinking, Michael, that we could do, like, at the end of July, go through the cases that we've covered so far and do a follow-up episode and update anything that's, that's occurred. Absolutely. Uh, in Dahlia that's a, case – She's filed her appellate brief, and the state has requested an extension of time to file their response. And their last request for an extension was on June 4th, and nothing's been posted on the uh, 4th DCA website, but I check it every day. (laughs) So, um, but they'll file their response. Uh, I think she'll get a reply, and then it'll be scheduled for oral argument or submission on the briefs. And then the 4th DCA will render a decision. It probably will be sometime in 2019 before we see any kind of decision. Okay. Um, so Or 2020. But Dahlia's in Florida Department of Corrections, so, you know, she's True. she's doing her True. time now. She ain't going nowhere, at yeah. least for a while. So and, what uh, are we and if, next week, Lisa? Next week, let me, uh, I'm going to go through my outro. Uh, thank you for listening to Clear and Convincing with Lisa O'Brien and Michael Conahan. If you like our show and you want to know more, you can find us on Facebook. Go to our blog at clearandconvincingpodcast.wordpress.com or follow me on Twitter at O'Brien L. Ann. Join us next week for Episode 11, 
State of Illinois versus Alfstory Simon. In 1999, a private investigator coerced a false confession to a double murder in Chicago that happened in 1982 from a man by the name of Alfstory Simon. Mr. Simon spent 15 years in prison trying to clear his name. We'll be talking to Marty Preeb, the author of Crooked City, and William Crawford, a former reporter, writer, and legal affairs columnist with the Chicago Tribune, and the author of Justice Perverted, How the Innocence Project at Northwestern University's Medill School of Journalism Sent an Innocent Man to Prison, which is a book about Simon Case and the framing of an innocent man by a Northwestern University Innocence Project group. And I'm looking forward to that one. That's that's the episode that we had the issues, the technical issues with, and I'm so glad that we were able to reschedule it. That'll be a lot of fun. I mean, you don't see too often where uh, good good old Innocence Project gets people thrown in jail. Wrongly accused, but you know. Well, it'll be one of the things. One of the things that 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 got me interested in doing something with this format is media news reporting. Now is not so much about journalism and objectivity, and just reporting all of the facts, but it's about advocacy for one position or another. Right. And so when you read an article uh, about Dalia DiPolito's case or Jody Arias or Larry Swearingen or Rodney Reed, you get the author of that story. You get their position on the case, and you only get the information that supports their position mm-hmm. and right, not right. anything that might contradict that position. And it's become – it's difficult discussing cases on the internet and on Facebook because people – I will post something from the court record, and the people who believe it's not true because it's not in any of the articles. It's never been mentioned in any articles. Like the court record should take precedence over what the newspapers say. Right. But it's kind of backwards. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's from court records, and I know sometimes I try to stick with the court records. Sometimes, like with the escort information about Dolly DiPolito, well, uh-huh. that wasn't admissible in court, and it's not going to be admissible in any of the appeals, and it's not going to be in the court record. But in the police record, they do have evidence that supports that she ran an escort service. And they have paperwork and corporate documents and, you know, client lists and client phone numbers and all those things that support that she was an escort. Uh-huh. So right. um, it's not in the court record, but it's it's definitely a fact that was developed during the investigation of the case. And... You know, it's not it's not proven beyond a reasonable doubt, but you can draw the inference you want to draw. Right, right, absolutely. I can certainly understand that. And yeah, 
We certainly do sometimes try, but sometimes, you know, you got to get a little bit of the other stuff in there as well if it slaps you in the face of the honest-to-goodness right. Next week's going to be a lot of fun. I look forward to uh, hearing and seeing everybody again next week talking about this case where, once again, you know, one of the things you never hear about the Innocence Project actually sending an innocent man to jail. So it'll be fun, and I look forward to seeing you there. Yep, I can't wait. Okay, well, Lisa, if you're if you're all set, I guess we're uh, good to go. We'll talk at you I, next week, ladies. And gentlemen. Yeah, I guess we're we're not going to be working overtime tonight. So <laughs> thank you again, everyone. <laughs> thank you again, everyone, for joining us. What's that? I said I guess this is going to be one of those rare shows where we actually don't end up working overtime. Right. Well, this one has not gone quite as far in the system. Right. I thought, right. I I thought that outline was like way too much information. But <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of things I can go into. <laughs> but uh, I want to thank everybody for joining us and tune in next week for an uh, interview with Mr. Preeb and Mr. Crawford. The books are Crooked City. And uh, Justice Perverted, How the Innocence Project at Northwestern University's Medill School of Journalism Sent an Innocent Man to Prison. They're both great books. I've read both, and um, they are worth the read. So thank you again, everybody, and have a great night.